0: Welcome, Dr. James Beckett Sports Card Insights. I was on the inaugural episode of Breaking Cardboard. John Newman's uh, Sports Card Nation, his new show. The co-host was Corey of Yamwax fame, enjoyed uh, that interaction. They were both asking me questions and I was interacting with them. It was a lot of fun. Again, first show, promising, a nice format, delighted to to be on that and honored to be on that. So thanks sponsors, Tops Panini and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugs to Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So thanks, John. Thanks, Corey. Thanks. Uh, there were some live questioners uh, popping in. During that show on a Friday evening, encourage you to watch that or listen to it, as your pleasure may be. I enjoyed it and look forward to doing it again at some point in the future. So here it is. Here's just some ex- excerpts. It was an hour show, and this is just less than 15 minutes. But thanks, everybody, and see you tomorrow.
1: I'd just like to speak a little bit to that significance of the wall and your collecting. Is it influenced by your interest in connecting with In the sense that
0: I can't put anything on the wall, Corey, that I can't tell a story about. And uh, frequently the story, it could be who I bought it from or about that player or card or how I got it or why it's there. Yeah, there's a story aspect. So if somebody comes over, it's not like a silent vigil where you look at the cards with your hands folded behind you. You can't touch anything. You've got to be very reverent. You can't say anything. It's not that. It's just a bunch of guys coming over and looking at the cards and talking about the cards. So that's been a lot of fun. And yeah, I'll probably do some more dinners here, mostly for the guys around here in 2022. That's
1: so great. Is there anything on that wall that you've already, you don't have
0: to say who or what, but really designated like this might go to the Baseball Hall of Fame or this card is already, I have this in mind for it. Do you have any
1: sort of, this card's already spoken for maybe at a museum or even the
0: national, which we were talking about.
1: Do you have any cards like that? And my other question
0: before you answer that one is how often, Do you re do you rearrange it much, or is it kind of like set where you want it to be? I'm definitely going to rearrange it after the next shipment I get back from BGS, which has taken a long time. (laughs) John, it sounds like you're fishing for just just you're the only guy that talks about mortality more than I do. But it's something we ought to think about. And what I did talk about that's interesting that you guys may push back on or or agree is that I really came to the realization talking to Brad that maybe I need to be thinking about like a sports card executor, that my wife shouldn't have to figure out what to do, and I have some distinct segments of my collection, including the wall. No one would want the wall intact because there's too many personal things, but there's some valuable cards there. The Hall of Fame isn't going to want it. It's multi-sport. Actually, anybody would want it if it's for free. But <laughs> So I'm still evolving that. The problem is if I earmark that certain cards go to certain people as a gift, then I have a risk of offending a lot more people than pleasing. So I, I'm trying to figure out how to manage that. I'm not the only one that has a diverse collection that has some level of value that would like to see it get into hands of people that would appreciate it. And maybe a lot of it would be sold. Some of it could be given away.
1: You're talking about these cards and their legacies, but I feel like legacy is important to you as well. And again, like you have decades more to go. But creating this podcast now, sharing your insight, your knowledge, I really respect the individuals you're connecting with. There, There's some people I really you know, respect, whether it's like guys like Adam, basketball card fanatic, Josh Johnson. I'm wearing the card letter shirt and Chris, HOJ, these new leaders of the hobby out there. Our friend Jeremy Lee, who gave me a sticker at the National, which is a ton of fun. <laughs> so um, connecting with these guys, it feels like bringing these content creators together, creating the content yourself is helping uplift the next generation of hobby. I wonder if that's intentional.
0: My mission statement now is to influence the influencers. So I don't need yeah. to have a million people listening to the podcast, but I want the right people that can do something with it, that can take mm-hmm. those insights and share them. Because I'm not going to connect with all these people individually, but John has an audience and, and we're on the same page about a lot of things. I'm sure yeah. he's influenced me. Maybe I've influenced him <laughs> a little bit. That's the great thing about the digital world. And a lot of this content is free if you want to put it out there and it can be easily passed along and virally. Can we hear some stories about your favorite cards? behind you. I was in a small town in Ohio in the 70s, probably 76 maybe, put an ad in the paper and a guy came to the hotel or the motel, whatever it was, responding to the ad that I was buying cards. And I was a professor at Bowling Green in Ohio at that time. So I was from around there. And this was outside of Columbus. And a guy walked up with a bunch of cards from the late 40s, early 50s. And in there were two Jackie Robinsons, okay? I've since sold one. One's on the wall, as John can see. I sold it, obviously, too cheap. But the other thing I did, there were a whole bunch of 51 Bowmans as well. There was a mantle in there, which I still have, obviously. But there was a wax box, just the empty box. But the guy kept the cards in the box. And then he had a box of 50 Bowman, too. And so there were these empty boxes. And I wound up... Just almost giving away the boxes, which are rarer than the cards. There weren't any wrappers in there, but I can't complain when I got a couple of Jackie Robinsons out of the, out of the other punchline is that there was also a Satchel Page leaf card in that same collection. So that's probably enough of me to give away some of these things, but that was 1976. And that was when people didn't even know about the rare leaves. The Jackie Robinson was considered not common, but it was the main 49 card set of leaves. And they didn't even know there were another 49 and there was a satchel page in there, which I still have. Wow.
1: It sounds like everybody made out pretty well in the deal in the end though. And the guy
0: that I bought from did not <laughs> make out very well if you in hindsight.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm sure at the
0: time. I pay, I'm sure I paid him hundreds of dollars. And that may have been not an insignificant fraction. It was less than what the cards are worth, obviously. But they, they weren't worth that much then. You can't know that, what is that, 45 years later? They're going mm-hmm. to be worth 100 times what they were then.
1: Dr. Beckett, it's been decreed that your uh, closing music of your podcast is the best music of any podcast in the hobby. Christina Thorson herself, the authority on these things, has deemed it true. But the one thing I don't know is, like, you have the person singing, Minding My House of Cards. But at the end, there's like a, a whispery voice that says something about we're doing tiny people breaks or something. I don't know quite what they say. What, what is he saying at the end?
0: guys who got out the microscope here and the the audiometers or something. All credit goes to my awesome wife. She's the one that picked out the music. She said, this sounds interesting. And she believes and I agree that the last line of the song is the man in the house of cards is doing all right. Uh Yeah, it's a little bit understated because I'm doing better than all right, but it's a nice (laughs) note to leave it on. It it had a a little bit of a positive tone without being boisterous and I was floundering Because I thought, what am I going to, you have anything to pick from? And she said, here's one.
1: And I said, kudos to your wife. It seems perfect. And thank you for clearing it up.
0: I got another story for you then uh, from what you said, because you apparently are a music guy. We had a trivia contest in the company and Rich will remember this. And it, it was the whole company. Anybody could participate. It gets down into the final rounds and I'm still there and Rich is still there. One of the categories was music. We did the 50s music, Rich and I are both nailing it. We did the 60s music, Rich and I are both nailing it. We did the 70s music, Rich and I are both nailing it. We did the 80s music, I missed the 80s. I was working in the 80s and Rich was (laughs) listening to music. He crushed me and I should have known I couldn't beat him anyway, but I used to listen to music and then I started doing price guides (laughs) and I just didn't have time.
1: When was it that you started going full-time in cards? Was it as a dealer or was it once you started at Beckett?
0: Actually, after that, I I was a professor, It was always the side gig to do the books, and then I was a professor, I was a professor, then I was a consultant, when I was a consultant, it was still a side gig, and then even after I started the company, I was still a consultant. So I was working, uh, burning my candle at both ends, I was traveling around the country doing this expert witness stuff, and so that's why the first two years of the company, we didn't make any money, I, I didn't take any money out of it, there was still money to take out. And so it really never took off. And so I was feeding my family by by doing a lot of high-powered consulting around the country and wearing myself out probably. And then after two years, then I finally turned down some of these consulting gigs that were very lucrative and thought, you know what, I'm going to jump both feet in. And that's when the company started really taking off. Not only did I give more attention to the company, I realized that I need to hire more people. And so that really helped because I, I think once, once I was full time there, I thought I'm full time. It's still not getting done. I thought that would make a difference. But it just pointed out I was close enough to see, hey, we need somebody to do this. We need somebody to do this. And we started on a, a course of hiring lots of people over the next 10 years.
1: When you first started full time, then did you have this vision of it becoming this media grading conglomerate and hiring hundreds of people? Did you have that vision at that time?
0: No, nope. I, I didn't want to hire hundreds of people. I, I didn't want to hire anybody. <laughs> I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. But the problem is, it just you couldn't not do that. It, it would have been irresponsible. It, it, it was a great idea. And I had a lot of the skills required. But I didn't have all the skills. I had the skills to do a price guide. But there's so much more to a company. I, I was just blessed with having the right people there at the right time. That's why I have so much sympathy for Tim Getch and and maybe Nat Turner, any of these people that are leading uh, companies. I I think I was slow to hire because I I didn't Mm want to be bringing people on. And if, if the thing turned down, then you'd have to ask them to leave. I hated that. So I was slow. And so our people really worked hard. And when I could see everybody's working hard, the work's still not getting done or we were really struggling, we'd hire some more people. And it just we hired a person a month for five years.
1: Wow. So you're hiring a need, finding just great people, and that's what's propelling you forward. To me, I'm feeling like that's cautionary on looking at all of these new companies in the industry right now and thinking about all a lot of things have to fall in place for them to be successful and maybe to give it a couple of years before you fully buy into possibly a new grader. You can take your chances, but we don't know well, how these they, companies are going to pan out.
0: They've done the calculus, Corey. They, they can't do that. Tim Getch is getting all this criticism because he has so many orders. Nat Turner said, we're not going to accept any new cards because we have millions of cards in the back backlog. I've seen BGS's backlog. It's mind-boggling. They can't really put the world on hold. And so they have to aggressively hire. But I'm at the National. I'm going back into the grading room with the BGS people. I I didn't know. They were brand new. I'm sure they were trained. They'd probably been there for a year, but uh, they were not there when I was there. I I didn't really know them. The, The other thing I want to clarify is when we had our fast growth years, I'd like to say we went out and found a lot of great people. But in many cases, those great people found us. We didn't turn them into great people. I think we provided a a good environment. But through just the network of our our quality people, they found other quality people and they found us. And I wouldn't run ads in the paper to say, hey, in the Dallas Morning News, do you know anything about baseball cards? These were people from around the country that said, hey, I want to join your team. And we're saying, wow, yes. When can you start? Rich was (laughs) like that. You know, Rich is exceptional, but he had to move That's down great. from New Jersey, which was traumatic, but he, he survived. <laughs> what has surprised you the most about the hobby over the past three years? Also, what do you think about the emergence of non sports cards over the past few years? Let me relate them together, the the, the two parts of those questions. Because what's really happened in the last few years, maybe the last two years more than the last three, is that there's been this movement of comparative pricing. When something gets really seemingly outrageously high priced, people say, that's getting a little pricey. I wonder what else. Instead of paying that for this, maybe I'll go over here. And so that's what's added another dynamic element that people are always looking for what's going to be the next thing that's going to move. And so that's good. Consequently, Non-sport has come on the horizon. People realize the quality of the non-sport, the Q factor, the fame and notoriety of the subjects of either these movies or music or TV or different uh, celebrities, the followings are just as strong and just as passionate. And so I think that's terrific. It's made the hobby more fluid that you're not just a baseball card collector trying to walk around with your want list for 56 are You're opportunistically going to what you think is a good deal and I love that. I think that's great. And yeah, non-sport's here to stay. If enough people go after something, the non-sport was produced in much smaller quantities than baseball. It, it makes it look like
1: a good deal. I was curious about this, this card because the lore on it is that they gave away something like 500 of these to individuals at the National. It's the Stadium of Star card. Do you recall getting those and handing them out at all? Not true. Not true. <laughs> okay.
0: No, you want another real story? Yeah, I do. They made 500. Okay. And they gave them to me. I'm sure they had some that they passed out of everybody because Rich Klein got 500 and Grant Sandground got 500 and Frank okay. Barney got 500. Each person got a, a like a vending box of 500. And we did a lot of trading that week. And then I had some requests for them and things like that. But I, I still have a bunch. So they, they weren't passed out. Somebody had an uncut wow. sheet. So there's a 100 people that they did. And they did 500 sheets, chopped them up. And maybe there's some overrun. So I, I still have some. And I've autographed a bunch of them for people.
1: And that's what makes it fun. So sometimes when I see people complaining about those issues, I think it'd be great if we took the perspective that, like, if everything was perfect, this wouldn't really be an issue. The, the,
0: the, <laughs> the dynamic element of the hobby of people moving to what they perceive as being a good deal.